to the 24th episode of Metaco Talks, our series of live conversations with the people at the forefront of uh, innovation around de decentralized finance. Today, we're very happy to say we've got another special guest. Uh, please join me in welcoming Kevin Lim, director in Tomas' blockchain team. I'll just give a little background here. Kevin is heavily involved in blockchain teams, venture building ecosystem development activities and leads a series of strategic initiatives, which I think we'll touch on hopefully. And uh, prior to joining Tomasic, Kevin has worked at uh, the financial institutions coverage team at Stan Charter Bank and had responsibilities over key accounts in the region. He's also a strong advocate for community-led initiatives and is an active volunteer advisor to various nonprofit organizations, including uh, Loop, Leap 201, TEDx Singapore, and Project Julia Street. Kevin, welcome to Metaco Talks. Thank you. Thank you, Seamus. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, great to have you here. And, you know, just as a as an introduction, please, it'd be great to hear, you know, when and how you got into um, and started investing in the crypto space. No, sure. Um, so hi, everyone. Kevin here. I work in Tomasic's blockchain team. Um, personally, I actually started in 2017. So I think more of a side hobby, actually, at a point in time, where I got involved in crypto mining, right, on a personal basis. Uh, subsequent to that, went into some of the ICOs, did a lot of personal reflection uh, in the post-crypto winter. And when Tomasic started our blockchain team, sometimes two years back, I raised my hand and there I am, all right, fast forward two years later, still very much active in the scene itself. Oh, sounds like we got into this similar similar timeline. Um, you know, for those outside of Singapore that might not be familiar with Tomasa, can you give us a high level overview of who it is and what it does? Sure. Um, so we're an investment firm headquartered in Singapore. Uh, we have a intergenerational horizon. So frankly, a lot of our majority of our investments are in equities, right? With a longer term horizon. So that's where we do have some level of flexibility as compared to maybe other professional institutions where they have a much stricter uh, fund mandate uh, being kind of like stipulated by the end investors itself. Interesting. And, and you know, we've seen that you've, you're part of the blockchain team there. I mean, we, you know, as a company ourselves, we, 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 deal primarily with banks and we see it's quite common to have innovation of blockchain teams in the banks. I mean, how, how unique is it for an investment firm to have a blockchain team? Well, I think Tomasic is always going to be somewhat unique in that profile. Um, so, so it's an interesting question because if you think about it, there are various types of investment firms. And of course, you know, just given how hot and exciting crypto has been in the last eight months to one year, there are a lot more investment activities in the scene itself, right? And I think there's a range of activities there where frankly, you could invest as a venture capital firm a lot earlier. You could be a hedge fund, right? Taking positions in the market itself. You could be market making. Um, you could be traditional firms that I think one thing I've observed is that they have progressively started various digital asset teams. Think about portfolio allocation on behalf of the end clients. Uh, Tomasic is somewhat different because I think we, as I was saying earlier, have a much longer mandate. We're quite excited about the underlying technology and the possibilities that this brings. Um, and in that particular regard, just kind of like nature of the work that we do and the activities that we're involved, I think we are in a unique position ourselves. So you mentioned you have an intergenerational view. What, so what does that mean in terms of your investment horizon? When you look at, particularly when you look at the space. So. I think where we get excited about, it's not just about what's going to happen in the next two to three years, right? And it's not going to be just what's going to be the next shiny thing in town and how much price appreciation we're going to look across next one year. We, we care about macro trends that could really shape um, new businesses, new ways of doing things, new lifestyles, and new ways where individuals, clients, um, companies are able to come together and interact with each other in a differentiated kind of uh, world there. And progressively, one of the things that we're quite excited about within the blockchain and crypto space is it's an enabler 
towards a Web 3.0 concept, you know, where some of the audiences may be quite familiar. And the whole novelty around the idea, the new businesses that you could create along that line, there's something that's actually quite attractive and quite exciting for us. But for that to really take shape, you know, for the fruits to barely, uh, for it to bear fruits, uh, we're not going to be talking about a next two, three years journey. It's going to be about a decade length, long journey. And I think that's where Tomasic has some level of patience. We, we are keen about trying to better understand where the technology is today, right? Where it's shortcomings, um, try to work together with ecosystem players to overcome some of the barriers, you know, and kind of like move towards the collective vision whereby we are personally excited by. Mm. We mentioned basically it would be a foundation for Web 3.0, but to the degree we, all, we often hear in the market that crypto will eat finance. I mean, what's your vision for how this, how, how disruptive is this technology for the whole space? Um, well, to be honest, I'm a bit of a convert. Um, I, I've, I've been in the scene earlier and I think I was mentioning that I, I've borne the brunt of it as well during the previous crypto winters. Yeah. Um, there's a part of me that's always been skeptical about you know, how much speculations and, and how much of this is really a bubble. But in recent times, I think another part of me that has kind of like woken up is the fact that because you have a permissionless way for people to interact innovate and transact and reward each other, right? For their contributions to underlying projects that spurn a range of activities um, that to a certain extent has been unprecedented. And I, I think that's really something that has been really exciting. No, I mean, we can talk further about all the different trends in town, about DeFi, about Metaverse and all that. But, you know, a lot of these terms, they've just been invented in the recent months, less than about the last year or two years, right? And the scene will continue to, to rapidly evolve. Uh, I think it's, it's actually important for a lot of people coming to the space to just not get caught up by all the attractive terms or the speculative price movements, but to think deeper about what does the possibility of innovating together with different individuals across the globe on exciting stuff on common vision that you believe in. I think that's the part, you know, that we should really, really spend more time and focus on. Yeah, it's definitely a powerful concept that you're effectively, uh, the decentralized power of bringing all the world into focus on a protocol or an initiative. I mean, it's definitely a we're no longer local, we really are global. And so when you look at the space then, how do you think about risk reward versus you know, risk reward in absolute terms and also relative to other asset classes that you guys look at? Mm, so I, I was on a webinar the other day, I think with Fidelity, right? Mm -hmm. So frankly, I think it, it really gives, it really depends on your underlying perspective. If you are thinking about it from a portfolio allocation standpoint, um, if you're adding cryptos or digital assets to your overall portfolio, and look, it can be a small proportion, a small allocation to it, uh, on an aggregated portfolio basis, it's not a bad risk reward return. Yeah. Because it probably smoothens out the underlying volatility across the whole portfolio by improving the, the overall aggregated return, especially if you look at the past two years track record. So that's one angle of thinking about that. Um, if you are being a more active investor in the scene itself, I guess then the question is what's really in it for you? Um, from a Tomasic standpoint, I think we're quite excited about the enablers, about the technology. So it's not just about the immediate PL gains, right? That's, that's something that we keep tabs on. Uh, but more importantly, what can we learn about it? How can we get it early enough in certain things that has the true potential to be disruptive, to have exponential upside in terms of the business possibilities that it can create? You know, and that's where you need to be patient. And if you are willing to be patient, I think from a from a longer term time horizon, generally, um, the the luck is on our side in terms of coming on top. Interesting. And I mean, you just mentioned kind of an active sort of approach to this. Is it possible to look at DeFi with a kind of a passive allocation uh, approach as well? Or is that 
too early for that. Um, you can, but I I would caution against it actually, right? Because so, I mean. The, the industry is nascent. Uh, I think we were just having an earlier conversation. Some folks said, look, DeFi 1.0 is hardly over. And then now we're talking about DeFi 2.0. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and when, when is 3.0 going to come about, right? And then if you're just passively allocated in it from, from context of whether you can do it, the answer is you can. Uh, I don't think liquidity is now going to be the problem because there's been a lot of interest, a lot of money coming to the scenes itself. Uh, but the problem is that you'll always be behind. Right, you always be the one that's waiting for when things happen, and then you react into it, which I don't think is ideal, especially if you are committed to investing bagel sums or trying to be more active in the scene itself. No doubt, and as you mentioned, there's so much active self disruption in this space that uh, it, it, if you're not on the forefront, you you could get disrupted very quickly. Um, so, when you're looking at investment opportunities, I mean, how do you how do you source those opportunities, and how, how you know, what's how do you get in? Basically, I guess is one of the other questions once you've identified them. Yeah, so from a Tomasic standpoint, frankly, we, we believe that there's a need for us to get our hands dirty, right? You, you have to be immersed um, on the ground itself. And definitely, I'm not the best expert within the scene, right? I have other colleagues who are much more plugged in, and I'm constantly trying to catch up myself. And the scene itself evolves rapidly. While you may be a content specialist this month, uh, two months down the road, you could have been updated and you need to keep yourself refreshed. Um, I think with the realization then is that it's a very fast-paced scene. We have seen exponential amount of innovation, collaborative opportunities uh, between different groups of people, frankly, globally. And if you want to continue to be in this space, if you want to take meaningful positions or try to really find the right deals in the scene, you have to be immersed in the ecosystem. Um, and that's progressively something that we definitely spending a lot more time Right on, on trying to figure out where and what people are thinking, what thought leaders, what major projects are actually doing, right? What's their thinking? What are they worried of, right? I think these are all these are all consistent themes that we have to kind of like continue to take back uh, when we evaluate our stance within the the wider range of opportunities out there. And as you get your hands dirty, what 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 part of the DeFi universe gets you most excited at the moment? So I I'm not privy to share details, but I I, I would suggest this. I I would say it's useful to kind of look at a whole ecosystem um, on a, on from from start to end. And like if you, if you look at it from an infrastructure standpoint, and we look across the whole value chain, you start looking at what I generally term as the um, pinch points, right? where you know that regardless of how things shape out, and, and look, I, I, I'll be candid, I don't think DeFi, I mean, DeFi has grown to a space where it's big enough. It's not just going to be swept aside. It's not going to be erased and disappear tomorrow. Okay. Uh, it will evolve. It will change. I don't think we've seen the last crypto winter itself, right? There'll be pockets of volatility. Uh, but the question is, if you evaluate it from a total holistic basis, and you start looking across which are the core components of the value chain of the infrastructure, uh, it is important to be sustained and will scale as adoption continues to scale. I think those are where meaningful opportunities will come up. And really it's about diving deeper, understanding how this whole space is going to look like, uh, how it's going to evolve, right? Uh, I think that's where real opportunities will shine. Interesting. I mean, we've, there's been a lot of stats about the flood of, of money coming into the, the VC money and, and just general investment coming into the into venture money coming into the the crypto spaces, but you know, I think we have huge numbers this last quarter. Yeah. What's Tomasic's edge in this space over other investors? And how, mm. once, once you do invest, what's your what's your position? What's your profile? Is it are you an active investor? You get involved with the with the companies you're you're with. I mean, how, from the the customer from the from the company's perspective, the protocols. What's the advantage of having Tomasic as an investor as well? 
Right. Um, so again, I, I think the key gist for ourselves is that uh, Tomasic have a much longer horizon, right, on there itself. Um, we're willing to work with partners on areas whereby we are quite excited about. And from the partner's perspective, I think Tomasic generally doesn't interfere with how our underlying portfolio companies or our investing companies actually go about in the daily operations. Uh, what we care about is whether we're aligned in the collective vision of what this could actually bring about. So I think that's where, frankly, the common cross is. Fascinating. And, you know, you mentioned you've got a team. I mean, is there, for others that are looking to invest in this space, do you have to have a technology background or do you happen to have to have strong technology resource in your team to, to possibly to dive into this space? No, I, I don't think so. I think, so, so back to my point earlier that I think one thing crypto has definitely taught us, right, is that you can have a collaborative model. You, you, just, you don't need to have all the stars aligned or all the right pockets of talents within your team before you take any meaningful position or take any particular step forward. Um, we definitely, it's going to be useful to have certain technical perspective in evaluating certain elements and, and, and parts of the um, underlying investments whereby there's a very huge component of tech. Uh, but you don't have to have those people within your team if that's the, really the, the constraint that you're facing. You can work with partners externally. You And I think um, the realization that there's actually a lot of talent globally that you can tap on once you're kind of a plug into ecosystem, uh, that brings about a lot of, a lot of avenues, right? where you can leverage off the learnings and qualities from others to really upskill yourself. And the next part, if I may, is because the scene is moving so fast, mm. uh, whatever that you have learned today, you have somewhat need to unlearn it or have to have a paradigm shift sometime tomorrow. And that makes it quite difficult if you think that just because you have the right tech players or the tech members on your ground or within your team itself, you'll be fully on top of the problem because I think they'll be naive. I mean, at least the obvious question. I mean, how do you keep up with the space? I mean, it moves, as you, as you referenced, DeFi 1.0 came out and DeFi 2.0 came out, seems like just weeks later, I'm exaggerating, but I mean, it's, it's iterating <laughs> extremely rapidly. How do you keep up? And is that a challenge or an opportunity? Well, that's definitely a challenge. <laughs> I think it will continue to persist to be a challenge, right? And I, I think we'll, we'll, be, we'll be lying if we say otherwise. Uh, but look, there's two sides to look at it, right? Uh, we don't beat ourselves over it. You know, there, there'll be opportunities we'll miss, so be it. Um, the, the key thing is to be able to pace ourselves, don't burn out, yeah. focus on the things that really matter for us in the long term horizon. I think that's key. You know, I mean, I, I spent 10 years in Singapore and I've always remarked at kind of the long-term vision. And I recently saw an interview um, with uh, Subnandu uh, Mohanty, uh, you know, the, for those that don't yeah. know, the FinTech officer of the MAS or Monetary Authority of Singapore. And I found that it was remarkable how methodical um, the approach has been with uh, building the foundation for a digital future. Um, do you think Singapore is, is a leader in this space globally? I, I wouldn't call us that, to be honest. I mean, Singapore is a small country. Um, we, we, we know where we stand. We know our respective disadvantages, for sure, right, in the, in glo the global stage. Uh, but we know our, relatively, our relative competitive uh, advantage as well. And I think what Singapore has always been quite open about is that we are an open economy. Uh, we, we are a neutral party and we are very keen to collaborate and work with many partners out there. And look back to the point about blockchain, right? Or the permissionless world. Um, what COVID in turn has taught us is that there's frankly, the blurring of lines between real geographical boundaries. You could collaborate digitally with anyone, any parts of the world, right? And I think what Singapore truly aspires to be it's a place whereby you have nexus of talents coming together, trying to drive and scale things together. Uh, and that's something which I, I think I'm quite proud of to be part of the overall work that we're doing in Singapore.
it's no doubt we could be in the same same city. We'd still be having the Zoom, and we can in this case I'm in, <laughs> in near Singapore, might exactly. as well be in the same city. So yeah, but it's gone very global. There's no question. Um, you know, looking at uh, you know Tomasic in specific, I mean, you've got roughly you know 400 billion in assets, as I think 380 I saw as of March, basically according to the official report. Um, you know, you're a fairly large asset manager in this space. Can you find investments that are large enough, opportunities that are large enough to make a difference to to uh, put the capital work? No, this this is funny because um, you know, just across the last two days, I think I saw two reports. Um, mm -hmm. one from and both from the regulators, right, and, and central banks. So one from IMF cautioning about the possibly possible risks of cryptos. Right. And I think that was from the Bank of England. Um, right. where well. if if I remember the numbers, they're stating that. The crypto scene has now scaled up to about $120 billion as double the size of the 08 financial housing crisis, right? Um, there's, there's various ways to look at it, right? And then look, regulators are probably doing the right thing in terms of cautioning out the potential risks. Um, but what, what I was trying to highlight is in this current market, and I my personal prediction is in the years ahead, trying to mix sizable bets within the scene is no longer going to be the constraint because the, 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 the market is sizing up rapidly, right? For various reasons. I think the bigger question is, could you actually withstand the drawdowns as and when they do come? And what is your involvement? What's your expectations of trying to participate in the scene? If it's just about making quick money and trying to have a quick upside, I think you, you better think twice because yeah. the, the scene moves fast and the scene moves fast in both directions, right? And to the earlier point that we're discussing as well, if you're just thinking of coming in on a pure passive approach, then you have to be cautious in terms of your risk reward ratio itself. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's uh, having a longer term vision definitely enables you to allocate more of the space as opposed to a, a flip <laughs> looking to, to yeah. drop the market basically, right? But I found it quite interesting because in the news this past week, we saw, um, you know, a similar fund, a similar sized fund, rather, Casey de Placement in Quebec, Canada, which manages, I think, almost 400 billion as well. Mm -hmm. They announced a, an investment in the Celsius protocol. I mean, it's a clear sign that just how fast the space or the allocations, rather, are, are going mainstream. Um, will Tomasic look not just at equity stakes and companies, but also protocol and token investments? Well, I, I'm not going to be a prophet, uh, but on this front, so I think Tomasic generally has flexibility, right? We wouldn't rule any of this out, but it's got to make sense in line with our longer-term strategy and focus within the scene itself. What about innovative sort of uh, organizational structures like DAOs? Is that on the radar as well? How do you guys oh, think this this something that I've been keeping trying to keep myself updated on, <laughs> but, but for sure, uh, I think we're looking across all aspects, right? Uh, we wouldn't rule one or out over the other, uh, but it's got to make sense for us in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And you know, when we look at protocols and tokens, how would Tomasic approach things like custody? Well, this Mitako. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the right answer. We can end the conversation there. <laughs> um, uh, Look, I, I, I think it's widely acknowledged, especially within the traditional players that trying to help, I mean, there's, there's growing interest in the scene, right? And trying to help manage the custody of such underlying assets is a key, key problem. 
Um, and uh, and then there's been a lot of range of solutions out there, none yet perfect, to be honest. And I think institutions themselves are also trying to figure out how best do they manage this new asset class vis-a-vis what they're used to in handling in the traditional space, especially if you're a larger financial institution which are with a wide range of mandate itself, right? You have to think about how do you manage your portfolio reporting on a regular basis, you, uh, not just on your equities, your, your bonds, your derivatives, and now you have this new asset class, right? Um, so yeah, I think I think there are a range of solutions. There are a lot of players coming in to try and provide infrastructure support. Your custodian banks, the traditional players, have all been trying to upskill themselves and improve their service product offering, right? Uh, and I think depending on where you sit as an investment firm, um, there are a range of solutions that you can evaluate out there. Uh, but the broader question is, aside from just custodizing the, custodizing the assets that you have with the, with the counterparties that you're willing really to hold with, how do you ensure that there's sufficient security? How do you get your internal colleagues up to the same level of depth of knowledge, if I may, right? In terms of understanding the, the scene itself before they have comfort in signing off and say, yes, we as an institution are ready to take possession of the underlying crypto assets. I think you've absolutely nailed on it. There's a huge education process required here, basically, right? And how you ensure there's no centralized point of failure and everyone's comfortable with the distribution of those risks, basically, right? I think this is, these are critical, critical questions. Um, you know, you touched on it earlier, but regulatory risk, uh, how, do you, how do you view that space? I found, it, again, if I touch on that Celsius investment by the case to the, plas- the case to Depot in, in Quebec, I found it very surprising, actually, they invested in a lending protocol that's also been invested. There's a number of regulatory actions in the U.S. on it. I mean, how do you guys view the um, the regulatory risks? Is there a risk that some sectors could be shut down from one day to the next? So, look, I I, I make no pretense, right? Regulatory headwinds is definitely one of the very very big red lights that's flashing the scene. Yeah. Um, now, for for obvious reasons, and I think the the audience uh, can appreciate it itself. Now, if if you're trying to come into the scene, and and you know, I mean, recent news itself. Uh, has been somewhat concerning, right? You see China banning a lot of crypto activities. You see a lot, uh, as I was mentioning just now as well, the recent reports by different central banks and IMF all saying that, look, what do we have here? Is it a potential bubble that could actually blow up? And I I think it's sometimes difficult. It's honestly difficult as an investor to to say that, no, this is not fun. It is, but how do you address it? That's not going to be straightforward as well. It it, it is not. But investment, by the nature of it, is about taking bets, right? You, You have to evaluate the situation, you have to have an overall strategy. Uh, for us, it's a longer term one. Uh, you have to say that, yes, does this make sense for us? What is it that we're going to get out of this? And it cannot be just about the returns, for example. It, must, it, it has to be about something more, a longer term vision that we are genuinely excited by. And beyond that, I think there's always going to be some risk that we're going to be undertaking. But we're careful. We're careful with situations whereby if it's going to be an obvious red light, I mean, we're obviously, we, we will be, we'll be watchful, right? Not to get ourselves in those situations. But while that's the case, you can never omit regulatory risk, right? There's always a very real possibility that a range of the, the governors could come together to have very coordinated action in mm. terms of trying to regulate uh, a lot more of the crypto activities. But I think the key thing I would like to call out, if I may, it's, it's beyond looking at this from just about the price movements and the potential speculative behaviors or activities in the scene. Of course. It's to look beyond and think about the innovation that we have at hand. I think that's what's truly exciting. Um, and that's where you know, new possibilities and new ways of doing things. We, we have to be spending just a lot more focus there as, instead of being swept away 
uh, by a lot of the conversation pointers relating about how XXX tokens have moved in so much percentage in prices, because it's always easy to get swept away by those pointers. Without a doubt. So, I mean, you're talking specifically to the volatility of the space. I mean, how, how do you address, and not just your own team, but uh, in reporting to the broad portfolio, the whole issue about the volatility of the space, whether that's just, regulatory driven or just because of the uncertainty or the, the rapid change, basically? So, so I think um, on that front itself, uh, Tomasic, uh, we were a long-term investor. We are actually used to volatilities, right? So probably less of an issue for us, but I, I, I could imagine there's going to be a lot of, much of a big problem for some other funds out there. Well, I suppose volatility or also comes with returns, right? You don't get the return without volatility. Um, zero volatility probably means zero return or close to it. So when, you know, we spoke, speaking about the regulators, I mean, some of the comments we've heard strikes that they're still trying to catch up with or learn about the space as well. I think uh, as much as investors are learning, I think the regulators have a long way to go. We've heard some comments that the, the lack of trusted counterparties in the space actually increases the risk of black swan events and things like DeFi. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but look, I, I think we, we need to give credit to the scene. It has evolved and innovated very fast as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's still relatively nascent, especially in the DeFi space. Um, I, I do think that the space will mature. Um, one conversation I used to have, and I, I think it's very real, is it's not, a, it's not a competition between DeFi and CeFi, right, or traditional finance. Yeah. Um, and while there is possible heightened black swan risk in the DeFi space, just because of the fact that, look, there's less regulatory activities, there's less central stakeholders and intermediaries that you can hold accountable right, in, in the situations where there's been a huge drawdown or been, there's been a credit default event. But um, what you really have in the DeFi space is that you have a more intuitive and transparent UI right, to facilitate transactions, hopefully, uh, at a lower cost when gas fees are down, you know, um, and that by itself has benefits. If you could marry that, you know, as the as the industry continues to innovate, with a lot of the players, willing players within traditional finance, right? I, I think you can actually reach some sort of a meaningful and optimal compromise. And that's what I always call that. There's a spectrum of thinking about how DeFi comes with CeFi. And it's about trying to find the right point within the spectrum. I think that's where the industry will actually progressively move towards to and will mature towards that stage. I mean, I think that's a very new a balance, balance view. I mean, I think there's no doubt, basically, I think one of the regulators, regulators' roles has been to also bring more transparency to, to uh, you know, what exactly are banks holding on their balance sheets? What are the risks of CFI? Because I think the one advantage of DeFi as well, they're, they're open source protocols. It's pretty transparent. Which Indeed. on its own is a is a big innovation, right? Transparency engenders trust in the end. I think basically. So, how do you think the balance of CFI versus DeFi will evolve? I mean, is you know these will live co these will obviously coexist in some some capacity. I'm not sure. Um, well, the answer is I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I frankly don't know, right? Uh, but I I think there'll be a range of complex actions um, that that and, and initiatives. Um, that both banks themselves are trying to innovate uh, within the space itself. I think I was reading an article the other day, uh, Sokgent 
is trying to trying trying to do a borrowing on MakerDAO, if I'm not wrong, right? And there's, there's a lot more activities in terms of trying to find the right balance between traditional financial players and how do, could they interact with the permissionless blockchain. Uh, Tomasic, uh, we've been re involved in a range of activities here in Singapore. For example, we've started uh, AJV, which uh, on my end that I'm, I'm spearleading together with my partners at SJX, Makanud, where we're trying to, if, we're trying to really build a digital asset platform end-to-end uh, -end digital asset platform, whereby part of this whole equation or this whole uh, platform that we're trying to create is the thinking about how could we leverage off blockchain technologies as one of the cornerstones to improve the distribution reach and access right, to end investors. So, yeah. so look, I, I, I don't have a perfect answer. I, I think there are a lot of actors and a lot of activities within scene itself. Everyone trying to find the space and playing. Uh, it's quite difficult to predict. Uh, what's going to happen. But I think at some point, the range of activities and innovation will gain momentum. And that's where when with the right level of momentum itself, you could actually see a meaningful shift, right? Instead of a, just a narrative of D5 to C5, you see a good collaboration between the two. And I think that's where, that's, that's the moment that I, I personally am quite excited by and waiting for. Well, I think that's a, actually a great point to wrap up on. So, you know, listen, Kevin, it's been, uh, it's been a real inspiration having you on here. I appreciate you sharing your views, both personal and, and uh, for Tomasic and where we are now, where we're going. Thanks for your time. Um, is there anything else you want to tell our guests before we wrap up here? No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Excellent. Thanks again. Well, our next Metaco Talks will be in two weeks' time, and we'll be hosting uh, Rajiv Tumala, Director of Digital and Data at uh, HSBC. He's a business technologist with a keen eye for exploring the effective use of emerging tech in the security services space. Until then, wishing you all a great Friday. And don't forget, you can always uh, find all our recordings on your favorite podcasts, as well as transcripts on our website as well, metacotalks.com slash talks. Thanks, Kevin. And thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thank you, Seamus. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks.